0: FreightWaves continues to follow the incredibly sad story of Indianapolis-based carrier Seldon Group, abruptly shutting its doors leaving 4000 people without jobs weeks before Christmas. We here at FreightWaves want to help. FreightWaves has established a free job board for companies to post their openings and for people looking for employment in the freight industry to share their resumes. There's no cost for anyone to participate. Hundreds of jobs have already been added to the site. If you're looking for employment or have a job to post, head to freightwaves.careers. All right. Listen to that music, Anthony. Are we live? We're live. (laughs) <laughs> Hello.
1: <laughs> oh yes. my goodness.
0: So, our first live podcast. Yes. Welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Yes.
0: So, my name is Zach Strickland. I'm those Anthony Smith. Know, Anthony Smith. Yes. Uh, lead economist at Freightways here. Zach Strickland, director of Freight Market Intelligence. Mm. Uh, and we also have our first
1: guest. A lot of first today. Yeah.
0: Big big day for the uh, Freightonomics podcast. Yeah. Mike Bodendistel is going to join us for a little bit. Uh, here on Freight Economics, the podcast where we we would discuss basically the freight market yeah. economics and yeah. how both of them intertwine with the overall market, and try to have a little fun along the way, and make it as approachable as possible. So, Anthony is a rugby star turned economist. <laughs> <anonymous. laughs> Played a little football back in my day. Yeah,
1: go New Mexico State, go yeah. Aggies. Yeah, I mean your record wasn't wasn't super. Let's not talk about that. Okay. Let's not talk. It about wasn't r- your fault. We went. To a bowl game a few years ago.
2: Look at that. Yeah. Which bowl game was that?
1: The Arizona bowl game. Mm -hmm. It was in Tucson. So we didn't have to travel very far. We went. We won. You went. You went. We won. You went and we won. That's all that matters. Go Aggies.
0: Six six games. (laughs)
1: That's all you need. need. need.
0: Anyway, so we got a big show today. Big show to talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, We're going to talk about some supply side uh, headwinds for the trucking market, Mm -hmm. which, you know, not great news for shippers. Uh, Maybe some good news for some of the carriers, at least. Uh, uh, But there's several of them entering 2020 that we're going to talk about. Um, There's a lot of regulations coming on board, but as well as some other kind of side costs, if you will, that people may not be thinking about that may lead to a little bit of a freight market recovery, at least on on the rate side. Uh, yeah. So a little bit more pricing power on the carrier end uh, looking into the far future of 2020. Uh, also, it's I don't know if y'all have heard about Christmas, but that's happening. Is that coming up soon? Yeah, that's happening real fast. Uh, next Already. week, uh, we're going to discuss uh, some of the impacts and what that means in general, how freight markets operate during this week, as well as what to expect uh, yeah. for this one. And then you're going to give us a little... Uh, Peek into some industrial production. Yeah, uh, my,
1: the, my expectations for industrial production, largely manufacturing going into 2020. Um, what we've seen so far, some of the bright spots, some of the dark spots. Uh, and I think a little bit of some consumer stuff, you know. No, I, I'm high on the consumer. You, right? are, you are feeling good about the I consumer. Feel good, <laughs> they, I feel good about the consumer. They feel good about you, yeah, too. Yeah, good sentiment. Uh,
0: and then business investment starting to make a comeback. That's a big one yeah. for the freight market yeah uh i mean something that we saw in 2018 or 2017 was or 2019 mm-hmm. God, what year is it 20
1: what year is it i've already <laughs> i've already i've already
0: tried to practice my 2020 oh you're gonna you know, have
1: a few screw-ups you know you might just revert to 2018 i, I might I might as well <laughs> just give up yeah uh,
0: you know that that whole scribbling thing that i did in school mm-hmm. where you just erase it right you, you write a 2019 of what it is So you know? about january 30th you write you know the last year mm-hmm. and um And then also, are we prisoners of the moment? Perhaps. Freight market is doing pretty well right now. Mm. Spot market is super hot. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be, it's that the end of all the bad news for trucking and, and so far. So, but first up,
2: we got Mike Bondistel. German name, right? German, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so. German. Laura Fava should be able to pronounce it if, if no one else. Right. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, really just wanted to come on and talk about my deep dive. Uh, published that on, uh, went out Saturday morning to Sonar subscribers. It should be up on the website in a couple of days. And, and they sort of left it up, up to me as to what you know, topic to discuss. So I tried to hit uh, what I think is really one of the topics of the hour in and around the railroad industry and as touches trucking as well. Is, well, first
0: up, let's, let's give yourself a little introduction. Talk about yourself. Yeah. Like
2: You have a really interesting background. Sure. So uh, yeah, he came here from uh, the world of equity research. So re- recovering sell side uh, stock analyst. There you go. For um, was with Steve Financial for for a long time first um, as a associate analyst uh, w- working with John Larkin, which a lot of people you know listening may, may know him. He seems to know everyone in the in the industry. So you know, w- working with him followed the railroads and intermodal companies and trucking companies and logistics companies. So sort of his uh, you know twenty five or thirty companies that he covered, and then. Was able to, uh, you know, branch out and, and, and work on some of my, my own companies that the company hadn't, hadn't covered before, like a lot of the railroad equipment suppliers, companies like Trinity Industries, WebTech, GATX, and then also rolled out coverage of the, the trucking equipment, you know, companies, too. So followed some, you know, equipment and, and, and railroads. So you have, you have
0: a breadth of knowledge. It's not just very specific to the rails, but all of the, you know, the different components uh, of that go into, you know, even making rail cars. And things like that,
2: is that correct? That's right. So <laughs> sort of have yeah. sort of a little bit of a unique perspective, though, um, yeah. you know, from, from looking at it from a couple of different, different angles and, and across different modes. Yeah, that's really cool. So one of the
0: things that is really, you know, the rails have obviously, you know, on the customer side, they're not super popular um, in, in terms of having a good image uh, because they, they tend to have this image of they're going to just, you know, value their operation first, uh, and then if they can service your freight, they will or your needs, whatever they may be. Uh, and then, so, that was working okay for them uh, in the 90s and, and 2000s as they really kind of came together. Consolidation happened. And, you know, really they become they, they became a much better or more, not better, but a, a, a better option in general uh, for shippers to use as they started putting on intermodal, which intermodal is, of course, the containers that can easily come off of a ship and then hop onto either a rail a car or a chassis of a truck, intermodal, hence the name. Uh, these are typically 53 footers in the United States, but also come in all different shapes and sizes. Well, really just one shape, but multiple sizes: 20s, 40s, 45s, etc., etc. And the rails, you know, are losing their biggest customer in the coal industry, or they were losing their biggest customer in the coal industry as we we come off of that, and then. Of course, uh, they 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 see this intermodal sector as a real big opportunity, and it's been pop- propped up to be this you know savior of the rail volumes, et cetera. They really don't need it though. But your deep dive really hits hard
2: on this because we're seeing this this pattern uh, really shift. Go ahead. Th- th- that's right. So really, intermodal was the main avenue for traffic growth for the rail industry I mean the rails haul a lot of things that are not you know very high growth you know commodities I mean coal's a secular decline or other things sort of move with industrial production that we'll hear from 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 Anthony about but you know intermodal was the one area that had had grown um, it really started to become you know popularized with with JB hunt in about 1989. Um, with, with their agreement with Burlington Northern. And, and you know, since that, that time, it's grown about double, double the GDP on, on average. So it's grown about 4.6 percent a year versus GDP about 2.3 percent. And um, really the last few years and, and, and this year in particular, I really think that's starting to get called into question. I mean, the, the, the railroads have been great stocks. Um, and and really they've done a lot of that with, you know, taking, you know, costs out, um, really streamlining the cost structure, the, um, the, the, you know, employment numbers on the, on the railroads about the lowest it's ever been. So it's, it's really been more on the, on the, on the cost side and what the, what a lot of the rails have done the last, you know, couple of years, uh, CSX in particular has been, you know, demarketing, uh, lanes on the intermodal side that have not been you know, profitable, that have been less profitable. CSX got out of about 15% of their lanes. Uh, Union Pacific, Norfolk Southern, they, they got out of, out of some, some, some lanes too. And so this year, we've seen uh, you know, the trucking market take some share from, from intermodal, so, which, is, which is unusual. Usually, it's, it's the other way around. So this year, intermodal volumes are down uh, almost 5% in the U.S.
0: And that's, that's largely due to the fact that the trucking market has really softened. Off of 2018, is that accurate? That,
2: that that's that's right. That's certainly a part of it. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of the truckers have been uh, desperate to keep their trucks filled, so they've been able to, you know, sort of been willing to go in and, and take rates that really aren't sustainable, just in order to to, to keep that, um, that that truck utilized. Even in some lanes that you think would be intermodal lanes, like L.A. to Dallas, because that's you know 1,500 miles or so. It's it shouldn't be that competitive, but it, it has been competitive this year. Yeah. And trucking, uh, of
0: course, trucking operators are, they have a little bit more competition uh, than the rail does. So uh, what's, what's fascinating to me though, is how y- you talk about how the rails have basically said, you know what, we've hit our, we've hit our price point. We're going to stick to this. That's actually a, the biggest difference in rail and trucking. And it's probably one of the reasons that rail operates at a 60 ORs and trucking is sitting up there in the high nineties a lot of the time, but you know, they have a lot of pricing discipline uh, with what they offer. And, and that's, That's kind of shocking to me in the way that they have most of what they do, like you know, doesn't incur a lot of cost uh, incrementally. Uh, You know, if they add three more contain or three more carloads, there's not a huge amount of cost involved in that. Uh, So adding capacity is very easy. Whereas if you were to try to add another truck to the road, there's a lot of cost involved in that, uh, specifically with trucking. So why why do you think that the rails are so more so much more discipline other than just the simple fact that they they can be because they basically have an oligarchy.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's that last point you made. I mean it's it's really they've they've been good duopolists. I mean really there's you know there's been so much consolidation sort of over the years after deregulation that you have, you know, two big class 1 railroads in the west, two in the east, two in Canada, in some cases uh, a shipper could be captive to one to one railroad. Um, in other cases, there's, you know, two railroads that, you know, you'd think you'd be able to play, you know, one off of each other, but they both, you know, seem to sort of stick to their to their guns on on, on pricing. And, you know, the fact that they're publicly traded, I mean, they, they have been sort of signaling to the market, okay, we sort of take our prices up a little bit each each year. Maybe that, you know, I'm not alleging, you know, co- collusion or, or something like that, but, but, but they're pretty good at just sort of not beating each up each each other uh, up over over price. You you make a good point that if you make a longer and heavier train, you know those those extra few cars. That's a very high you know incremental incremental cost. And I think you know one of the things the rails have been been doing is you know putting their you know. B- but by putting their margins ahead of, say, customer service, I mean, they're building those longer and heavier trains, even if it, if it takes it you know, longer to, to get it to the, to the shipper. I mean, I think that was one thing that Hunter Harrison was, was pretty big on was making the, 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 the train sort of fit his margin profile. And um, you know, even if that upsets, you know, you know shippers, I mean, it's, it's sort of the, the shareholders own the company, and that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, that's, that's pretty intense. The, uh, you know, do you think that they're going to effectively, you know, say these volumes continue to decline? And so, you know the coal volumes can continue to decline. Is there a minimum amount of freight that they are willing to move uh, at before they start saying, you know what, we will drop our prices? Is that is there like a breaking point? Do you think, or do you think they'll just stick to their guns all the way to the end? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I I think it it you know really sort of depends on you know what you know they they can do as far as 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 cash flow. I mean, at some point, you know, you would think that you know, the, the optimal thing that a railroad should do is is try to maximize, you know, operating income or, or, or cash flow, and it shouldn't be about an operating ratio number, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to reject incremental, you know, business, even if it's 70% OR business, and it dilutes your margin a little bit. If it's incremental to operating income to cash flow, you should you should go after that. I mean, I think there's a little bit of too much focus on the OR every time the rails, <laughs> you know, report, report earnings. And I, I think they should start to, to, to get away from that. I mean, the only, you know, times really that, that I've seen the the rails, um, the time I've, I've followed them, you know, cut rates is just in certain cases on, you know, coal in, in the East, because, you know, some of the export coal is a globally traded commodity that coal was not going to move uh, and was not going to be competitive with producers in other continents unless the rails cut the the, the price in certain cases they, they they did that but you know aside from that, I mean it really doesn't seem to be in the rails um, in, in the rails plans. I mean even just at this um, latest round of Wall Street conferences someone asked Jim Foote, CEO of um, CSX, you know would what he think about you know cutting the cost at this point uh, cutting price at this point to, in order to attract incremental volume And he basically said, well the, the service is so good. why should intermodal pr- prices be less than than, than truck prices So it, it doesn't seem like the rails are terribly interested in in, in doing that.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. So,
2: the you know you, you hit on
0: something there in terms of uh, you know the costs. They're very concerned about the costs and the OR, uh, the operating ratios, if you will. And I, I feel like every time that one of these earnings reports come out, it's like a it's like a competition between the rails to who whoever has the lowest OR. Yeah, yeah the limbo, right? It's, yeah, it's and and, and it's kind of like, isn't it? Doesn't it become detrimental at some point uh, to have like a forty eight OR? and and your operating model especially when it's publicly traded and you're like you hear you hear these reports about well costs are really low but everyone says your service is bad like what is there like a a moment where they kind of i mean I know you just said like they really shouldn't focus on OR as much but doesn't it actually become a little bit counterproductive to keep Driving this lower?
2: Yeah, I, I think at some point, um, you know, there's really just more risk of, of certain types of, of regulation, and and I think that is, um, you know, I think that's a real a real threat. I mean, Surface Transportation Board, this iteration of it um, is being more active and, and and more more proactive on on, on certain issues. They just had, they just had a, a you know meeting late last week to. You know, discuss the um, you know revenue adequacy issue, which is, is basically you know what's the railroad's cost of capital and how much is it exceeding it, and and basically spent you know you know two days you know listening to public you know hearings on that you know in addition to all the all the prep work that goes into it. So clearly the the, the regulators, there's a, there's a bigger overhang as the rails get more and more profitable. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, I don't think they can indefinitely raise, you know, prices faster than inflation um, <laughs> while service does not commensurately improve. And, um, you know, you know so, so I think at some point it just sort of demonstrates that they are, are just not uh, in, in, a, in really a lot of competition in that market.
0: So basically the government will step in eventually and say, hey, you guys are a monopoly to an extent. Uh, you can't keep doing
2: this. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. And, I, and I and I think there are going to be certain things that that shift that at least incrementally in the in the shippers favor. I mean they there's starting to talk about in the US Doing what they do in, in Canada, which is the final offer arbitration. I mean in Canada, if there's a dispute between railroad and shipper, each side puts their best and final offer on the table and arbitrator you know, decides. So it's a little bit like you know playing playing poker in, in, in that sense. In, in in the US, there's a process for contesting, you know, rates and there has not been a, a case that has been contested in in, in 3 years because um, you know you can't contest rates that are under contract number 1 but number 2 it's just this complicated you know process that's costly really the only ones that it's worthwhile to as a big you know shipper like a uh, you know utility that that did it against Norfolk Southern several years ago or or DuPont did it successfully against um, you know CSX but but those are sort of the exceptions
0: so just to tie things together here what do you what do you see for the the rails and intermodal in in 2020 do you think it's going to be a a big year? Or are we going to continue on this train, uh, so to speak, uh, down the mountain
2: <laughs> in terms of volumes? I so, guess. so the the good news is the rails seem to be finished with, um, with, with, with demarketing lanes that they don't think is profitable. At least, at least they, they claim to right. be finished with that. So, so twenty twenty at least will optically look better. Hopefully, we don't see those clear market share losses like you mm-hmm. saw in in, in, in twenty nineteen. But you know, I I think. Uh, you know, the rails at the same time, it doesn't seem to be their top priority, at, at least the U.S. rails. I think, you know, Canada, you could see, you, could you know, growth exceeding the, um, the, the the GDP and the consumer spending in Canada because those ports are growing and, and the services seems to be better up there. But um, in, in, in the U.S., I think it'll be sort of um, consumer spending, you know, minus uh, combined with this other thing that I talk about in the in the report that we haven't you know touched on, which is the East Coast ports, you know, gaining you know market share, which a lot of that's not intermodal freight because it can just be trucked to so the consumer. There's more population along the East Coast.
0: That's right. The shorter haul is not really the rail's game. Uh, mm-hmm. I know they've talked about some of those, you know, trying to enter that sector a mm-hmm. little bit more, but I think uh, physically speaking, that might be that might have a pretty big barrier to entry for the infrastructure for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on today, Mike. You're sure, welcome, no problem. To, uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome to hang out uh for a little bit if you want to, or you can you can take off if you want. It's up sure. to you. I'll stick around. Yeah. yeah. So around. we've got we've got some other stuff to talk about today, Anthony Smith. And yeah. One of those things is uh, you know, the supply side and the freight market. We're we're we've we've talked about how it's been oversupplied for so long mm-hmm. this past year. And but we're starting we're gonna see some things come into play over the next month or two. So. One of them a huge thing that just happened, uh just this week, yeah. uh, the ELD final ending of the uh, AORBD, right. or you know, automated onboard uh, recording device, uh, effectively means that you know, it's not, the AORBD was effectively an early version of an ELD. Right. Uh, they had a few different uh, you know, things. They just weren't as governed. They didn't have as much standardization in them uh, as was required by the government to fully track what they wanted to track. Yeah. That's the hours of service. Uh, to, of course, improve safety across the country, which, again, is a debatable item whether or not they actually improve safety or maybe make it a little bit worse, depending on who you talk to. Um, But, yeah, this uh, it's, you know, a lot of these smaller fleets, uh, they had these old ARBDs involved. They were allowed to use them through 2018 Mm -hmm. and 2019. The hard mandate uh, didn't really apply to them because, you know, there's still some people that are on paper logs that have trucks that are older than 2,000. Of the year model year 2000. Um, and you know, people have been talking about how this is going to really reduce the supply of the market. Yeah. You know, some estimates I heard as high as like five to 6%. Some have been, you know, double digits, but I, I have hard time even considering that as a, a real option. Um, and you know, coming into play, I think some of our survey, Uh, data that we use kevin hill and his research crew does a really good job and they talked to some people and they're estimating about one percent okay of the total capacity in the market is still you know not uh compliant Mm -hmm. with the eld at this point one to two percent um and you know it's really going to be up to just them getting caught over time yeah and then they'll either switch or they'll fall out of the market uh there's not a big portion of the freight market. I don't think it's significant in my personal in any of the data that I've seen, it looks very small. (laughs) Um and if you know some of them are I think to me at this point it's more of a barrier to entry than it is a supply side reduction. Gotcha. So anybody that comes on board in the future is going to now have to invest more in technology before they uh you know pick up that truck. It's not simply just buying a truck like it's been in the past. Yeah. Um you have a lot more headwind there. So I think that's going to show up more over time. Uh, Do you know any of the other, the other? We we actually had an article come out, and it was based on uh, Robbie Shanker's, you know, Morgan Stanley uh, analyst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Did you read? Did you see any more of the uh, the potential threats to the uh, freight market or the supply side in twenty twenty?
1: Well, well, real quick, one of the other things I was thinking of was uh, the the prices for used trucks that are exempt. Yes that has to just like be what going through the roof now, right? Uh, well, we're about to see. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> we're about to see. Yeah. That's that's brand new. Um,
0: yeah, I don't you know, th- those aren't necessarily you know, a lot of those people are, that have those trucks. Mm-hmm. They they're you know, it's not necessarily a huge barrier to entry. It's just one of those like trifling things that you've got to deal with now. Right. Uh, and, and for you to operate that way, you really have to love To ride in your truck Mm -hmm. and most of those people already have those trucks and they maintain them appropriately if you go out and you buy a 2000 truck yeah uh, a pre-2000 truck you have to trust that they've taken care of that thing yeah for the last 20 years which not not necessarily the case a lot of people saw this coming years in advance decided that they were going to dedicate themselves to this vehicle and Mm -hmm. they're just holding on to it and over time they'll It'll go away, yeah. Just like anything with technology and adopting, uh, like a headphone new... jack. Yeah, exactly. That I I resisted my i iP- the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. I, I still have you know wired in earbuds. Yeah, because I just love my my wired in earbuds so much. But I'm eventually going to give in, <laughs> and and get and get the you know the wireless. Mm-hmm. I actually, have a request in with Santa for Christmas. Okay, All to right. get me some some AirPods so I can walk around and look cool. Like everyone else, no one's
1: gonna make fun of you anymore.
2: Yeah, oh, they no, they'll still do that. But <laughs> yeah, they looked stupid for a while. But now it's just so ubiquitous; they yeah. don't look that stupid yeah. anymore. But for yeah. the
1: future.
0: I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, I don't want to wear the. I'll number two. I'll lose them. Yeah, they just look like something that I'm going to misplace.
1: Expensive Q-tips. Yeah.
0: Well, you can't lose an ELD because no. they're supposed to be <laughs> positioned right in the same spot in your vehicle, fully mm-hmm. visible. Uh, AORBDs could be hidden anywhere, uh, all over the place. So that's that's one of the things that. I don't think it's going to be a huge impact to capacity uh overall but uh we do have a few more uh things in terms of you know what's going to impact this the the drug and alcohol clearinghouse do yeah. you know what this is My,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean it's it's really this um you know basically like it said I mean it's it's a database of of who has had violations and and drug and alcohol you know problems and it it's could really could be a big sea change I think in the industry because what happened before was um you know someone would have a violation at one carrier and then they would go to another carrier and there's no really good way to communicate you know back and forth i mean like you said i mean it's, it's industry is a is a fragmented industry you know without without a, a central way to get that information across um you know someone could just drive for someone else and, and and that's a that's a pretty big you know issue i think i mean unfortunately it's a, i think you know issues that are just rampant throughout our society and and and, you know including in the the trucking industry
0: yeah and 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 truckload carriers anthony you haven't seen this but there's floors of recruiting departments really and background checks that these bigger carriers have dedicated to finding out these potential issues with drivers Mm -hmm. it's very it's a lot more difficult you wouldn't think that in today's age you know that it's super difficult to do background checks on people like everything's recorded we're recorded right here on the yeah. internet forever. Yeah. Uh, that's not necessarily the case in a lot of these drivers' lives. A lot of these guys are prided, pride themselves by being off the grid entirely. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the like psychology of a driver in general is that they're very independent. Mm-hmm. They want to be on the road, out away from society to an extent uh, in some regard. And so this centralized repository of in- information for these drivers really kind of puts them, you know, in a place that they don't necessarily want to be. Yeah. I mean, not all of them, of course, but... Almost exposed in a sense, right? Yeah, I mean they're they're kind of like the modern day cowboy. Yeah. you know they just kind of want to be out on the range doing their own thing. They don't want the government in their backyard, mm-hmm. and that's the that's kind of the way that this kind of th- you know the ELDs was one thing. Yeah, now they're they're tracking their you know violations and you yeah. Know, but of course, this is not something that's as defensible right, <laughs> in, right. in society as would it be the ELD. I think the ELD is more like relatable in terms of it's kind of a big brother like looking over your shoulder all the time type feel. Whereas this is more like you broke the law, you got caught for doing something illegal. Mm -hmm. We just are going to keep track of it better now. Yeah. You know? And so I, I don't think it's as, you know, it's not as defensible from an an aspect of like personal employment. Like, Mm -hmm. well, you should hire me anyway. I know I do a lot of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And want to operate this giant, you know, 80,000 pound vehicle. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, that's, that's not, that's not going to win
2: the public's favor right. <laughs> in that regard. The, the question is, will it have a bigger impact on capacity than the ELDs? Because, I, I mean, I think maybe it will. I think absolutely
0: it will, uh, especially because I think most of the ELD stuff was overhyped. Uh, I don't think that it was as—that's um, one thing that I do disagree about. Ravi's uh, position was that, you know, he, he basically assigned a lot of this 2018— uh, capacity disruption to an el the ELD mandate. It just happened to coincide with a lot of different things in the freight market. I mean, we had two major hurricanes come through the country uh, just months prior, so a lot of infrastructure that was broken needed to be fixed. A lot of uh, capacity that was just you know devoted to fixing all of that. Um, then you had an economic boom. I mean, it, nobody really knew it at the time because, as you know, you can, the economy is measured almost in arrears. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You, all your BLS data comes out like a month or two later. A lot of delays. And then they revise it. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows that the economy's booming until it's already boomed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, there it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, additional investment. Uh, people were investing a lot more. We got a lot of tax breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, capital goods investment. You could see it in Class 8 orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could see it. But across the board, uh, most a lot of people were just like blowing their budgets in 2018 because yeah. they got a, a lot of additional cash. Yeah and then they got a a reason to spend it (laughs) right (laughs) on top of it. So it wasn't uh, as—I don't think that that had much to do with the ELD. We were coming out of a soft year. 2016 was extremely soft. The first half of 2017, again, still soft. Mm -hmm. And it really didn't pick up significantly till the end of 2017, end of 2018. And it just I think it all blew up. I don't think it had as much to do with the ELD, so I don't think that's as big of a deal, to your point, Mike. Uh, The clearinghouse, I think, will have— an impact over time still. I don't think January 1st or 6th when it's uh, about to be implemented that it's going to all of a sudden, where'd everybody go? Yeah. No, it's still going to be up to the carriers uh, to decide whether or not they want to onboard those drivers. And if there's a driver shortage in their Mm -hmm. mind, they're going to have to make some decisions based on, you know, well, you had, you had that one marijuana charge and we're all legalizing it now. Mm -hmm. So, go forward with that it's right. not like you know everybody's going to get
1: just pushed out of the market right and so i'm wondering if it's going to be something that would essentially just expedite the process i mean in the near term like not exactly change certain drivers but just like expedite it increase the efficiency so you get answers a little bit sooner about certain prospects
0: yeah no it should it should save some costs yeah on the driver on the that, recruiting that department yeah yeah yeah, no, that should be a lot easier to manage. It. I mean, I used to sit. I was in the U.S. Express. I yeah, mean, the whole a huge floor was dedicated to recruiting and background checks, and it was a long process. Mm-hmm. And that's because of my next item. That's a headwind. Yeah, uh, for the supply side in uh, 2020, insurance costs going way up. Gotcha. Uh, they're getting they're getting bigger. Uh, there's more of these nuclear verdicts to use a yeah. buzzword. Yeah, uh, that's where they drop an atom bomb on a company, and mm-hmm. they just explode mm-hmm. uh, effectively from the inside out because they can't afford the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know there's been several that I've seen over the last few years where there's one accident, and it literally puts a company out of business. Um, those trucks don't just disappear, though. Another company comes along and buys them up. Yeah. Uh, again, barriers to entry not real strong in the trucking industry. Um, So they could just pop up under a different name uh, in a different form, different ownership essentially, but it's, it's the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily erase capacity, but what it does is it makes it a lot harder for these smaller guys to come into the market and operate. So if I'm Billy Joe trucker working at, you know, Werner and I'm finally like, you know what? I'm tired of Werner Mm -hmm. telling me where to be and where to go Mm -hmm. all the time. I've got a good relationship with Coca-Cola. I'm going to go haul for them as an owner-op. You say Coca-Cola. I did. I did that on purpose. (laughs) I did that on purpose. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to go work for them. I'm going to buy my own truck. I got $60,000 saved up in the bank. Yeah. Buy my three-year-old used uh, Freightliner. They probably won't buy a Freightliner because owner-ops don't do that generally. But um, he gets his truck. But now, instead of just that's it. You're yeah. done. He's in the market. He's got to get his ELD. Mm-hmm. He's got to, he's not thinking about the business side of things with the insurance. Yeah. He's now got to pay for maintenance yeah. on his own. All these other operating costs that you're just not thinking about when you're, you know, you're sitting in your desk thinking, I can do this, mm-hmm. you know, or not desk, but riding, driving his truck. He's, yeah. you know, hopefully he's done his due diligence and yeah. figures all that out. But it's still, when you put it to paper, it's going to be a lot harder for him to say, yeah, I can afford you know, a dollar seventy-five a mile. Yeah. Well, here's U.S. Express operating at a dollar sixty-five a mile. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not that's not going to work. Right. I mean, right. he's going to have to really sell service or something better, and then he's going to have to source his own
1: freight. Special equipment, maybe. Yeah,
0: maybe. Yeah. So something, and they also have the technology. He doesn't have technology. You know, maybe, and he's just one guy, so mm-hmm. he can't service all of Coke's needs. He might know that one transportation manager really well, but what if that transportation manager decides? I got to go somewhere else. Yeah. Now he's a, he's, in, he's in the system now. Yeah. He's got to find, he doesn't have a sales rep. He's a sales rep. Yeah. He's all departments. So again, I think most of these situations are going to be something that show up over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we're going to see them all right away. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it'll happen next year, but I think certainly by the end of next year, we'll start to see a lot of the supply side uh, headwinds show up. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: All right. So, a little insight yeah. as to what to expect, I guess, going into, not 2020, but in the coming years.
0: Yeah. And, oh, I forgot to even talk about the AB5 ruling. Oh, uh, California. Think, yeah, this yeah. is just specific to California. Mike, you know all about this. I actually, don't. Why you, you don't? You, you so, get, it, effectively, there was a, this company, Dynamex was, um, you know, it, there was a suit I'll just make the long story short. I think a lot of people that are interested can go to Freightways and read all the (laughs) documentation on this. This is a long, ongoing, I mean, multi-year lawsuit situation where effectively owner-operators now cannot be considered independent of the company. So now they're all going to have to be company drivers Mm. uh, because they consider their forced dispatch to be, or, you know, the fact that they're, all of their labor is dictated by the larger company. And it's the main business of the larger company. So yeah. instead of them being considered like a consultant or somebody that comes in and does something different than the business, mm-hmm. it's actually the same exact business doing the same exact job. You should be an employee. And, and, and I think reviews are mixed. And I myself am not real sure. You know, it, it seems pretty bad for the owner ops, uh, the, especially the ones that are trying to be independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not have forced dispatch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those those people don't necessarily have the freedom that they once had anymore. Uh, but at the same time, it incurs a lot more cost to the company. I mean, the reason that you hire these owner-ops or these lease fleets, as we call them, uh, is to reduce your costs. Yeah. You don't have to maintain that truck if you don't want to. Yeah. yeah. That owner-op can technically go and do, do whatever he wants, so you don't have to have him on insurance, benefits, etc. Uh, so it's a... It's a double edged sword and I personally don't enjoy regulation yeah. uh, in general. I think things work themselves out over time. But there are there are specific instances, specifically with like the drayage providers, where the market is basically controlled mm-hmm. by a few, uh and that does make things harder to operate um under. But I think they're anticipating something like uh ten thousand uh trucks off the road in California, which isn't small.
1: That's a uh, a amount.
0: Yeah, that's not small, but it's it's not it's not going to destroy the market in general. Yeah. Um, but again, it's one more thing, you know, especially if you're trying to drive or operate in California, which nobody really wants to do because of the extensive regulations and, and taxes and yeah. all. That. It, it, I mean, they're really set up to be Hollywood, not not trucking carriers, uh, their whole situation out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just seems like one more thing that's going to hurt the market share of the L.A. Long Beach ports. I mean, they, they seem to be doing everything they can to price themselves out of business. I mean, they're also talking about mandating electric trucks that operate within a certain... You know, specified you know area within the, the L- L.A. and you know San, San Pedro and, and and Long Beach, and that just seems like you know it's you know ha, ha, it doesn't make any economic sense, but they s- seem to do things that don't make economic sense there.
0: Yeah, they, I mean they're 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 very big on the social uh, side of things. You know, what's better for the environment, et cetera, which I'm not opposed to, mm-hmm. uh, but it should be you know thought out. <laughs> um, you know, what is this actually happening? Because a lot of these problems will self correct. Yeah. Uh, over time they they will fix themselves i do believe that we should be uh, a little bit more uh, conscientious of you know what we're doing to the air we breathe but not at the no we don't need to do anything that drastic that soon that's going to disrupt the economic flow of things because over time they will fix themselves my mind Uh, i'm i'm a true capitalist (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah that that's that's yet to be seen but i think california's got more problems than just the ab5 ruling that Mm -hmm. keep that market uh at risk next year so um let's move on to some industrial production i know that we've had some automotive uh disruptions this year you know celadon a big automotive carrier went out of business uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about that on the last podcast um gm had their big automotive strike which actually we've been watching and sonar yeah uh, you know it actually had a big impact to the detroit trucking market yeah we watched volumes dip dramatically we saw capacity go offline real quick up mm-hmm. there because it's, you know, these kind of disruptions are really hard for carriers to deal with. Yeah, um, It's, you know, you have this static operation and then all of a sudden volumes fall off a cliff Yeah, and then they surge back up. That's one of the worst things that could happen to a carrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good thing for rates, but for a carrier who set up his operation around specific products, uh, it really can hurt yeah. pretty significantly. Yeah. So what are you seeing in the uh, prog?
1: Oh, well, in the iProg, um, it was up 1.1% in, for the for the month, I believe. And a lot of that, as you mentioned, came from that automotive aspect. And so when we're looking at uh, automotive production, motor vehicles and parts, I think it was up like some just over 12%, which is a double-digit growth is, is pretty big. But, Zach, it's still down 0.4% year-over-year. Year. Um,
0: <laughs> but wasn't 2018 just so robust? It was robust. Okay. But... <laughs> I, just, I,
1: just, I think that speaks to how robust, I, even if it was a 12% month-to-month gain, that is still below the year-ago levels. Um, also, I, I'm not entirely optimistic about manufacturing for the next two to three months here going into 2020. I think a lot of it's going to really kind of come on to, I think, when we see a little bit of an uptick in business investment. So we did see a little bit of rise for non-defense capital goods, um, nice barometer for business-to-business activity. And so we're seeing that, I mean, it was just one month of rise so far, so I, I do think it could be, it's a, it's a nice sign, it's not a negative of a trend just yet, but when we're seeing that businesses are a little bit more willing to invest, I think that's when we see a lot more equipment being produced and, and coming online and then that stuff gets hauled throughout the country. So I, I'm looking forward to, I think, end of the first quarter, March, April timeframe where we started to see somewhat of a reversal for manufacturing. Um, But I'm not seeing a lot in the data right now to be optimistic for manufacturing going into 2020. Yeah. And
0: one of the things that caused such a heavy uh, downward pressure on the freight market in 2016 was an industrial recession. Mm. Uh, You know, it wasn't a broader economic recession, but a lot of the goods we produced uh, were they just simply fell off a cliff. I the price of crude, of course, fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. That, that helped a lot of that. The global economy itself was actually going through a bit of a, a struggle. Yeah. But uh, we just bought our way right through it yeah. on, <laughs> on the consumer side. Thanks,
1: consumer. <laughs> yeah, um, uh,
0: But, yeah, we are seeing some upticks also in the Class 8 uh, trucking orders. Right, uh, I, I noticed that the other day when I was looking through the uh, van, dry van, reefer, and uh, they're all up. Now, the reefer side was not up significantly we talked about that on the webinar yesterday yeah um surprisingly re- yeah I, which it does surprise me because i feel like those uh, especially now that the tariffs mm-hmm. we just got um you know china's gonna buy what 50 billion agricultural of, products yeah, yeah over the next what two years two
1: three yeah years, yeah like and so i think that's going to be a huge that bump should but help a lot it should in that regard
0: um so and again i, I kind of think reefer carriers are have a good niche They're insulated Mm -hmm. enough. They can charge more for their product. I see what you did there. (laughs) I see what you did. (laughs) So I'm a little shocked there, but it is a good sign for the overall industrial uh, situation.
1: Yeah, especially when we're looking at non-durable goods. So so one of the things about the new tariff deal, um, I was excited to see that it happened, of course. um, But I think there's still that aspect of manufacturing side. So we just spoke it it, it's a good good deal for agriculture farmers have had a rough time in 2019 um whether it's from uh trade regulations and whether it's from weather uh they got hammered lots of weather yeah from the beginning of the year on um wet
0: hot dry and crazy yeah (laughs) yeah
1: and so i mean Good news for the farmers out yeah, there. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, we can name all the stuff that got hit with the. Uh, I mean, the corn and mm-hmm. the wheat belt. Obviously, lots of flooding in the in the winter. California, uh, the harvest out there got disrupted because of the rains. It was mm-hmm. super wet in California this year. I know because I went yeah to visit Sonoma, and everything was green. Yeah, the first time I've ever been to California, and it was green and also yellow. All the wildflowers were up. Okay. This was in March, and I was like, what? <laughs> um, and then, of course, the potato harvest yeah. got hit with an early freeze while we were roasting over yeah. here on the yeah. East Coast. Uh, and, and yeah, all these things come into play, and their commodities are damaged, so they don't get as much yield. Of mm-hmm. course, there's government subsidies in place that, that help them with some of those situations. But, obviously, we want to have a consistent solution. Right. Because that's our tax dollars. Yeah. Don't yeah. spend my money on that.
1: Yeah. Not on subsidies. And then, <laughs> the next thing you know, it's like once you start giving out subsidies, it's hard to take those away. Yeah. So, um, there's a, that's a whole other mm-hmm. rabbit hole. But. But do you
0: think uh, the business investment side is also fueling this? Is that what?
1: So I think business investment start is going to start to come online. Okay. But there's this big wall right now because even if we just had that nice phase one trade deal, there hasn't been a lot so much for the manufacturing aspect of it. Right. There's still that uncertainty there. Sure. Uh, there can there can be a tweet sent out right now while we're we're streaming <laughs> and we don't know. And now, there at the entire industry is up in arms, mm-hmm. but. To that extent, I think that businesses are going to – they're smart. They're, they're, they've been in business for a reason. They're smart. They know how to navigate. They know how to um, find a loophole and get back to business, whether it's going through Southeast Asia, whether it's finding loopholes on manufacturing destinations and then, you know, changing things at the port. So they're, they're smart. They know how to maneuver in such a way to really kind of get in mean, there.
2: They'll, they'll figure it out. They'll
1: self-correct. They'll self-correct. Yeah. They They're don't need, self-correct. They don't
0: self need somebody to tell them what to do. They don't need that. No. They don't need that.
2: <laughs> Let so, them do so what they do. For, for 2020, you're expecting industrial production to be up from 2019, just just not right away in the beginning part of the year?
1: Yeah. So not all right. I think if we can get into mid-2020s, I think that's when we'll start to see that um, positive reversal. But I think it's going to be below year-ago levels until mm-hmm. we get until at least second quarter. Mm-hmm.
0: Why do you think it's going to take that long?
1: So especially when we're we're looking at industrial production, the average length of decline, when we're looking at month-to-month, year-over-year decline, is typically around that 10-month mark. Um, I think once we get to, because this isn't night, I think a lot of the decline that's happening right now isn't typical uh, business seasonal uh, action. A lot of it is forced from uh, this tariff situation. So it's not going to move, I think, as traditional seasonality would I think this is going to be truncated a little bit I think it's going to be shortened so I think once we get around that I think it's going to be shorter than the average length of decline that we typically see in this in this uh downward trajectory when we look at industrial production on the manufacturing side but I I do think that once we kind of figure out what's going to happen with manufacturing what's going to happen with with uh business investments I think that's really going to kind of spur manufacturing again um the consumer's really been carrying a lot of the weight Um, We've and been so, kind of fortunate in that way that the consumers
0: yeah. kind of picked up where the the industrial production and manufacturing is is left off at times. Yeah, know? and um, I think that's interesting to see. I think too that a lot of these companies took a year off of spending money. Yeah, you know, so now they actually have this backlog of stuff they need to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we talked about new orders kind mm-hmm. of being down um, in the in ISM. <clears> yeah, but uh, yeah, I think after having a so long off, there's there's definitely. Stuff needs to be replaced. Needs to, you know, they need to
1: grow too. Mm-hmm. So the
0: fact that we are seeing kind of an uptick is is good news.
1: Yeah, it's good news when we're looking at non-defense capital goods. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the monthly rise is such a big deal to me, just because it was consecutive months of decline after or before that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, it's nice to see that coming yeah. online a little. It's bit. It's like a bottoming out. Yeah. So,
0: Speaking of bottoming out, did the freight market bottom out this year is a big question yeah. in a lot of people's minds. And now they're thinking that, yes, it has bottomed out, uh, mainly because we've seen volumes be pretty decent mm-hmm. here in the second half, uh, maybe not as robust as we want them to be. Um, most of the you know suppression of the freight rates have been on the supply side economics. Mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, but now we've had this robust peak season, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's exceeding expectations by a lot of people's standards. Uh, and that's of course due to the consumer and their retail spending by and large. Um, a lot of the freight that came into the country early in the year is now moving across the country into DC's warehouses, retail outlets and stuff like that. But at the same time, retail season comes to an end, Anthony. Um, I think we are maybe assigning a little bit of, you know, recency bias, to the situation, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be convinced. I, I personally, you know, we're looking at our maritime, uh, data, uh, in custom shipments and mm-hmm. coming into the ports and stuff like that. And there's just not, I'm not seeing mm-hmm. the, the volume year over year is down like something like 40 to 50%. Yeah. In certain markets. And, uh, it's just not there. The pull forward effect is gone for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. I think this is a lot of the reason that we saw some elevated volumes early in the year. Mm-hmm. They kept us kind of 1% down, 2% down type, type situations, which were are not, uh, you know, that's shocking to the situa- to the market. Um, I think we are a little bit of a prisoner of the moment. Uh, and then, of course, it's Christmas. Uh, Christmas is going to be on Wednesday. New Year's is going to be on Wednesday. Yeah. That has a notable impact to, like, how people behave and how, you know, business operates. Basically, we're destroying two weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. Take <laughs> yeah. the whole week off yeah. instead
2: of taking the end of the week off.
0: Yeah, there's there's just not a lot that's going to happen over these next 2 weeks. I know the company's back offices clear out for you know, you know if it happens on Monday, Tuesday, Christmas Eve, Monday, Christmas, Tuesday, there's 3 days left that there's potential. Yeah. When you stick it right in the middle of the week, yeah. It is ghost town because you don't you come into work, everybody does this. They come into work on Monday and they're like, ah, I'm out of here for a while yeah i'm not gonna, <laughs> i'm just answering a few emails of that yeah. sending some off and then i'm gone and then end of the week it's like oh man i had all that turkey or ham mm-hmm. or prime rib or whatever i was doing over christmas yeah. and that toys and i'm really just coming into the office just so i can get a break make from my a family in, yeah, yeah <laughs> like you know kind of say hi and get a minute to to kind of clear my thoughts a little bit and then i'm going back home yeah And that's going to happen for two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I really think that this is going to nosedive. Well, one capacity is going to be way offline Mm -hmm. uh, for the next couple of weeks. So that'll keep rates interesting at least. But after that's over, two weeks of no activity, that's going to show up in January real hard. And I think we're going to see a big trothing in volumes. Uh, We'll be watching it pretty closely. Uh, I think that's going to last throughout the month Mm -hmm. because it's going to, it takes shippers time to really get going and figure out what they need to do. Mm -hmm. That's going to really cut into some of the supply side stuff with the carriers. Uh, You know, these fourth quarter numbers are going to come in. Mike, you'll be talking about the railroads 50 OR as they break another (laughs) record. Um, (laughs) And, and, and the trucking uh, companies are probably going to come in, I I think slightly padded Mm -hmm. uh, just because we did have a, Better than expected uh, fourth quarter, but then this first quarter is really going to, I think, clear out the the ones that just aren't equipped. Yeah. To handle yeah. this and the last
2: two transportation companies that have reported, you've seen a, a pretty negative market reaction. I mean, um, you know, yesterday, uh, you know, Navistar reported yeah. and their stock was down about 10 percent, and FedEx reported last night and, and they're also down about 10 percent. So you've had a couple in a in a row that you're starting to see some some weakness there.
0: Yeah, and they could have been a lot worse,
1: you know?
2: Yeah, and Uh,
1: and to your point, um, one of the things that you just reminded me of was the Logistic Managers Index uh, from Arizona State, Colorado State, Rochester Institute of Technology, Rutgers, and University of Reno, Nevada. Sorry if I forgot anyone out there. Um, They have a component that tracks uh, warehouse inventory levels, and that's down significantly um, from the year ago level. And some of the thinking is that um, even some of the companies are expecting a slower start yep. after the pull forward, and they're, they're not even filling up their warehouses like they typically would be in a November-December time frame. Wow.
2: Yeah. That's interesting. I usually think of low inventory levels as a good thing for transportation because you have to replenish them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so usually this, in this time frame, they're filling up the inventory levels, but not so this no. time around. No. Not so much.
0: No. Well, uh, we're running up on time for this week, but we are. we have a question of the week. Now, Anthony, you didn't watch Die Hard. Did you? you haven't seen Die Hard, which is, I think, a travesty, honestly. I'll tell you what I did, Zach. What'd you do?
1: I, I went home last night. I pulled it up. I looked at the cover. I was like, no. You don't like explosions? I just looked at the movie cover, and I was like, no, I'm done. It's literally Bruce Willis climbing
0: through uh, an explosion. It didn't do it for me. It didn't do it for me. Oh, my gosh. So you don't even care if it's a Christmas movie or not. So, Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you. You've seen Die
2: Hard. I think I saw it like when it came out oh, when I was this a boy. Amazing. Yeah, Not recently. <laughs> okay, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something, Zach. I
1: don't agree with a lot of stuff you say. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's noted. Um, <laughs> but I think I agree that it's not a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas Eve movie. And that's, it's outlined. When I pulled up the, the, the movie that had awful cover, I just couldn't bring myself to rent and watch it.
0: 1988, Anthony. It's a classic. Eh.
1: And so I looked at the description... And it clearly said Christmas Eve, so I think it's Christmas Eve movie. It's not a Christmas movie. That not almost a, makes it a Christmas movie, so a, I, found, I disagree with you. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> <That's great.
0: laughs> I found it there. Just because a movie is set around Christmas
1: mm-hmm. does not make it a Christmas movie. But they, they put it in the description, the writers. No. You know what they
0: don't play on marathons on Christmas Day? What's that? Die Hard. You know what they play? A Christmas, a Christmas story. Yeah. Elf. It's Christmas Vacation. a little
1: bit less family-friendly
0: now. It is
1: much. Again, Christmas time is for family movies. So you're saying Die Hard is not a family movie?
0: It's not a family movie, but it's also not a Christmas movie.
1: Gotcha. It's a Christmas Eve movie. I gotcha. It's all
0: right. It's not even that. It's just, a, right. it's just a really nice, solid action movie.
1: Eh, maybe that's I'll watch it one of these days. No, it doesn't sound like it. Maybe I'll watch it. You're going
0: to miss out on a <laughs> lot of good classic movies if you're, if you're judging all the DVDs by their covers, if you
2: will. Well, that's what the covers are for, right? People still watch DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> or,
0: or if you stream it it's still going to have the dvd you're covered. still on yeah. wired headphones yeah. Yeah. i yeah. guess they so shouldn't be
2: surprised right <laughs> oh, man now it's going to turn into this young oh old my. thing <laughs> <laughs> okay boomer <laughs> not a boomer
0: <laughs> but anyway well that'll do it uh for this week's edition afraidonomics good yeah. show mike bottom distal yeah coming thanks for in. having what me it was fun yeah man thanks for it's coming out this the bar week. high yeah man this is going to be i mean feel really good about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And our first live show. So thanks for everyone that tuned in. And we will probably not be on next week, but maybe the week after. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how things turn out. Yeah. Sounds good. Recap some of this action. So everyone have a good Christmas and a safe new year. Watch Die Hard. (laughs) Not on Christmas.
1: (laughs) Christmas Eve.